The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good evening. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I am really excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, Amanda had surgery today, so Pastor Brian is not here. I was actually already scheduled to speak tonight, so that worked out. But she uh, had a minor surgery, so he's not able to be here tonight. But I am here to hang out with you guys. I'm really excited for tonight. So uh, go ahead, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be tonight. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We actually have Bibles against like the back walls over here. Feel free to jump up and go grab one. If you don't own a Bible, then just write your name in that, and that's your Bible now. Also, uh, we have an app, ACF Church app. You can download that app from the App Store, and in that is you're going to find tonight's notes. You're going to find uh, podcasts, sermon casts from all of our sermons from before, in case you weren't be able to hear all of this one. Um, also, there's a Bible in the app, and so you can follow along that way. And then, of course, most of the scriptures are going to be behind us on the screen, so you can read along that way, too. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And so we've been in this series called Blind Spot. And what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Ephesians. And, and Ephesians is this kind of unique, special book that, that this guy named Paul wrote. And in the first half of the book, what he does is he talks about the greatness of God. We've been talking about how great, how big, how magnificent God is, and then what is our identity in that? How does that relate to now who we are if we are in Christ? So God is amazing, God is huge, and now our identity is found in that. And so that's chapters 1 and 2, and then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul then goes on and goes, okay, now so this is your identity, this is who you are, now this is how you live that out. This is what this life looks like. This is what the Christian life looks like. In other words, he goes, so uh, if, you are, if your identity is in Christ, this is how you be a husband, or this is how you be a wife. This is how you parent. If you're in Christ, this is what unity looks like. This is what wisdom looks like. And so he kind of takes this, this is who you are, now this is, this is what it looks like walked out in a practical way. But chapter 3 is this unique kind of chapter within this letter that he's writing to a church. And he kind of pauses for a moment. So he talks about how great God is and our identity in that. And then he's getting ready to launch into, now this is how you walk this out. But he pauses for just a moment. In the first half of chapter 3, um, which we're not going to read the first half of it, but Paul starts going through kind of his credentials. He kind of starts going through why he has the right to talk to us. Um, he starts talking about, again, he goes, God is awesome, God is great, God is huge, and God has sent me to you. And, and I don't know necessarily, the, it doesn't say this in Ephesians, but you kind of get the idea, like, Paul's about to tell us how a husband should treat a wife and how a wife should treat her husband, even though he's not married. He's about to tell us how to parent, even though he doesn't have kids. So he's going, look, I, I know I haven't necessarily walked your shoes, but God has given me the authority to say these things. And that's the first half of chapter 3. And then the second part of chapter 3 he pauses and he prays. He pauses and he prays for the church. And, and this is where we're going to spend tonight. And not only does he just pray for the church, but he lets the church know what he's about to pray for, what he has been praying for them. So let's go ahead and we're going to read chapter uh, 3, verses 14 through 19. This is Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus. 
He says, and just by the way, if you, if you pick up on this, Paul's not very good on sentence structure. Like this is one sentence. It's like four verses, one sentence, lots of commas in here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Take a breath. So I want to ask you a question tonight. How many of you guys, or how many of you guys know somebody, or, or maybe are married to somebody, that drives around with that orange-yellow light on your dash that says low fuel. Who, who does that? Anybody know someone that does that? Like, that's just constant. You get in the car, and it is low fuel light on. Yes, I'm not going to say any names, okay? I, I, I know somebody. I love somebody. I'm married to somebody. But I'm not going to say this person's name that drives around all the time with the low fuel light on. I'll get in the car, and I'll say, honey, uh, the low fuel light's on. Oh, I know that. I can see that. I got at least 20 more miles. I can make, I, can, I don't have to fill up till this weekend. And, and, and we do that, right? You kind of get in the habit. If you do this, you drive around with the low fuel light. It's merely a suggestion. What it's saying is someday you should fill up the car. It really is what it's saying. Before you die, this car should be filled again. I've gotten in the car with this person that I'm not going to name, and uh, we will get in the car, and we're going to go to our life group, which is in Peter's Creek, and, and I'll, I'll pull out in, in, in my wife's car, who's going to remain nameless, and, and the low fuel light's on, and I'm like, oh, now i got to go fill the car, we're going to be light, and she's like, no, we can get to Peter's Creek and back, the low fuel light just came on yesterday, <laughs> right, and, 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 and we go through life, and we can do this with our cars, but I think as people, we do this. We start going through life and we got that low fuel light on. And we know it. We know we need to fuel up, but we got too much stuff to do right now. I'm way too busy to stop to fuel up. And it comes out in words like this. I might say, hey, how's it going? What's going on with your life right now? Oh, Josh, it is so busy. My life is so busy right now. You have no idea how busy my life is. I, I got work. Work is crazy right now. I've been working 50 hours. Make that sick. No, 70 hours this last week I worked. And then Josh, the kids. Oh, Josh, the kids. The kids, man, they got, they have, they have, they have soccer practice, and then they go to baseball practice, and, and then they go to basketball practice, and then they have karate, and after karate, they go to gymnastics, and after gymnastics, they have their math Olympics, and then after their math Olympics, you know, they have chess club, and they have checkers club, and then, and then they have, you know, they're, they're, they're taking Chinese language, and they're learning this, and that's just Tuesday, right? And that's just Tuesday. And what we end up doing is we end up going through life with the low fuel light on, running on empty, hoping to make it to the weekend where hopefully we'll have some time to fuel up. But really the weekend's filled with, you know, the basketball tournament and the baseball tournament and then the soccer tournament. And then maybe Saturday night I might get a moment to myself and Sunday I can watch my game. I can maybe go fishing or hunting or, you know, just hang out at the house. And I can get a little fuel. I get enough fuel in the tank so that light clicks off. 
so that on Monday I can start my week again and, and it kind of goes strong through Monday and Tuesday, but by the Tuesday night that light clicks on, but it's okay because Wednesday's here and now it's just a downhill coast in the weekend from there. And we kind of live our life like this. I know I do. Man, I know I can do this. I am so guilty of this. And I live my life on empty. And sometimes this even comes out into our, our Christian life where, where I'm, you know, I'll have a conversation like, man, have you, what have you been reading the Word? Have you been in the Word lately? Well, no, I've been super busy, Josh. Too busy to be in the Bible this week. Just, just too busy. Too busy to pray. Well, of course I pray at dinner. But, you know, other than that, I've just been too busy. Too busy. Well, okay, I, a week. Uh, all right, you caught me. It's been a month. Been a month. Have it, it's been a busy month, Josh. This has probably been the busiest month of my life. And, and, and I, just, it, I don't have time to pick. All right, you caught, it's been a year. All right. Last time I was in the Word was in 1988, but that was a really great day, right? Because I'm so busy and I'm traveling. I just don't have time to stop to fuel. But if we read Paul's prayer to this church, this young church, this vibrant church that is going through the exact same things that we are going through, that was dealing with a lot of this stuff, if more than what we deal with. This church in Ephesus, Paul's prayer for them, if you hear at the very end, his prayer is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I want us to ask ourselves tonight, am I full? Am I full of God? Now, I'm not asking, has Jesus come into your heart? I'm not asking, has you surrendered a life to Jesus? I'm asking, are you filled with the fullness of God? As I started reading this, as I started studying this, I'm going, oh no, I don't think I am. And not this one-time moment, not this, you know, you know, when I was 17 years old, I had this moment with Jesus on a mission trip, and it filled me. No, those are great, and maybe it was, you know, no, this last Easter, I said yes to Jesus, or last time we got baptized, I was, there's baptisms, I got baptized, and I was filled with God. That's great. But what Paul's talking about here is that we would live a life that is filled with the fullness of God. Does that describe your life? I know for me, many times it does not. And I know we, many of us, most of us in this room, we would want that. So how do we get that? That sounds like a really good idea, doesn't it not? Does it sound great to be filled with the fullness of God every day? It sounds awesome, but it also kind of sounds like a pipe dream. It also doesn't sound realistic to us. It sounds like, yeah, that's the way it's going to be when the kids get out of the house or that's the way it's going to be when I can finally retire. That's the way it's going to be someday. But Paul's saying, no, right now, today, you can be filled with the fullness of God. Tomorrow, Thursday morning, you can wake up filled with the fullness of God. That is, that is the plan. That is the intention. That's the way it's supposed to be. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, let's, we're going to ask a couple questions tonight. My first question I'm going to ask you is this. Is your heart, is it a home or is it a house? Is your, is your heart a house or is it a home? Now, l this is what I mean. Listen to this. Paul, in Paul's prayer, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you the strength with the power through his spirit into your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. So is your heart a house or a home? And, and, and so let me ask you this. Have you ever lived somewhere? Have you ever lived somewhere and never really made that place your home? I don't know, maybe you just knew you were going to be there for a short time, I don't know, three, four years. 
Maybe that place is really dark in the wintertime, cold, right? I mean, many people come to Alaska, and it's like, oh, yes, I get experience Alaska. I'm going to eat it up for what it's worth. But it never becomes our home. And I'm not saying that to about Alaska, but maybe have you ever experienced that, where you just knew a place you were, this is not my home. This is just where I live right now. See, the difference between a house and a home is this. A house is a place that will provide shelter. A house is a place where you can eat and you sleep and you might live for a time. But a home, a home is this. A home is a place where you put down roots. And really, a home begins to take the shape, the personality, and it begins to look like the people who occupy it. See, if you invited me over for dinner tonight, and maybe I've never really met you before, don't really know you, but you invited me into your home, I could walk in and I could learn a lot about you really quick. I could walk in and I could see, oh, there's like scribbles on paper and they're hanging as in a place of importance. These people must have kids or they're terrible artists. But I'm going to assume it's kids. Right, I might see pictures of, of you and, and, and somebody else in that picture and, and holding hands or around the kids. Okay, this person's married. I may walk in, I might see, you know, a bear on the wall or, you know, a trophy moose hanging up. I go, okay, this person's a hunter. I may walk in and you got sports memorabilia, you know, you got like the Browns hanging on your wall. I just use the Browns because I know there aren't actually Browns fans and so I didn't offend anybody else, right? You may have Brown stuff on your wall and, and I know you're kind of a football fan. Right? And I can also assume, okay, this person's probably from Cleveland, Ohio, because nobody outside of Cleveland, Ohio would have brown stuff on their wall. <laughs> but I can learn a lot about you by going into your home. Because it begins to look like you, it takes on your personality. So my question is, is what does your home, as in your heart, what does it look like? When people come into your life, what do they see? Do they walk into your home and they're like, wow! Jesus must live in here. This is a house that Jesus, where Jesus has made his home. Jesus lives, and this place looks a lot like Jesus lives here. Does Jesus, he's got to live here, right? Is that what your heart looks like? Because that's what Paul's prayer is for us. Or, like many of us, does it look more like us? We got our hurts. We got our hang-ups on the wall. We got our insecurities. We have pictures hanging on the wall of pains that happened to us years ago. And we leave them there to remind us never to forget. Right? We, got, we have things, we have, we have this pile of maybe like laundry over here. We stuff it in the corner. And really this is like the sins that we can't seem to get rid of. We know we're not supposed to have them, but we can't figure out how to get rid of them. So we just kind of stuff them in the corner and hope nobody notices. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. See, Paul's prayer is that, that we would have the strength to allow Jesus to come into our hearts and to make them his home, to make them his dwelling place, the place where he lives. I might ask that question to you, and, and I've, I've asked this question to myself, I've asked this question to other people, and what I get is, yeah, Josh, that's, I know it's supposed to be that way, but it's really, really hard. It is so hard to make my home look like Jesus. I've been trying so much. I've been trying to make, it's just, I can't get rid of this laundry. It's never ending. Amen. I can't get, I've, I've tried so hard to get rid of the sin. It just won't go away. Man, you should see how much gritting I've done. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then, of course, I'm doing it again. It's really hard. 
And so what do we do when that happens? Because we know if we've asked Jesus into our lives that we're supposed to look like him. So instead of working really on the inside of what's going on, we start working on the outside of the house. And we start going, okay, well, at least I can mow the lawn. And yeah, this looks a little dilapidated, so I'm going to slap some paint on it. And we start working on the outside so that when people walk by, we have what they say in the biz is curb appeal, right? People can walk by and they go, wow, that's a really nice house. Somebody important must live there. This person clearly has their life put together because that is a really nice looking house. I wish my house looked like this house. My house doesn't look as nice as this house. Jesus spoke to this directly. We do this all the time. Jesus spoke to this directly. He spoke it to these people uh, in the New Testament known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were doing this. Right? The Pharisees, if you don't know, they were, they were very, very religious people. They knew the Holy Scriptures inside out and backwards. They could quote them. Most of them could quote them by like the age of 12. They could quote word for word the, first five, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Usually by the age of about 12, 13, they could quote that. These people knew the Word of God. But they're also in Scripture the people that kind of came against Jesus. Jesus didn't fit the mold of what they thought the Savior was supposed to be. And so they came against him. Man, and how many times, how many times have I read the scriptures and been like, whew, I'm glad I wasn't a Pharisee. I can't believe they missed it. Jesus was right in front of their face and they missed it. They came against him. I'm glad I'm not like one of them. Oh, but then there's a story about that. When the Pharisee looked at the sinner and said, God, thank you, I'm not like him. I was just reading that and I was struck with that. That's not even in my notes, that's a freebie. That we point to the others and go, man, thank you, I'm not like this Pharisee. They were the bad guys. I'm not a bad guy. You're the bad guy. But the Pharisees were doing this, right? They were making the outside look really nice and really holy. And Jesus speaks directly to them in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which are outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and and uncleanliness. So that, or so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Is that my life? Is that me? Sometimes it is, where I'm so concerned about what it looks like on the inside that I've just given up on the inside. I'm so concerned on the outside, I've given up on the inside. See, I'm trying to make transformation happen from the outside in. Because I'm the one who's trying to do it. I'm the one who's trying to make it happen. And I've even asked Jesus into my heart. I've asked him into my life. See, even in in Revelation, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus is talking to the church. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open, I'd come in and eat with them and eat with me. And that's happened. That's that's been my life. I've heard the knock at the door and I've come. Jesus, come in. Yes. Come on in. Come have a meal with me. How many times have we done this? Come have a meal with me. Sit down. Like, I got a seat. You know, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch the game tonight. Okay? We got the Spurs and OKC. It's going to be great. Spurs better win because OKC was stolen out of Seattle. I'm not going to drop it. Okay? But we got this great game. We're going to have a meal. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus comes in. and He's like, wow, I, I love the home. I love the house. This is great. I could, I could live here. I got some ideas. Oh, this wall? 
Consider it gone. We're getting rid of this wall. We're going to open up this floor plan right over here. This thing going on over here, I don't know what this is, but it's hideous. We're getting rid of it. Jesus is coming in. Okay. I, hardwood floors. We're getting rid of carpet. Pulling the carpet. Like, we are going to make this place my home. I am excited. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> Jesus. No, come in, sit on the couch. Come eat with me and use a coaster. All right? It's going to be a great night. We're going to have a great meal together. Have you ever said these words to someone? Come on in. Make this place your home. Right? Can you imagine? Like maybe you have someone coming up staying with you and they get here after a long trip. You're like, come on in. You make yourself at home. But what if they actually took you up on that? And they're like, you come home from work and there's like pictures of their family hanging on your wall. Right? They're over there painting. What are you doing? I, I hate this color. And so I'm just trying to make myself at home. And so I'm just going to paint it right here. I like this color we're going with here. I, you know, taking down all your brown stuff off the wall, right? Like, what if they actually took you up on it? What if Jesus actually took you up on it? Come on in, make yourself at home. I'm trying. But we won't let him. We want him to sit and stay and keep everything nice and neat and organized where we have it, where we know it's at. This actually kind of happens in in, in the New Testament. Jesus uh, has a meal with somebody and it changes everything. Changes his life completely, forever. It was this guy, his name was, was Zacchaeus. Many of you know the story, but in case you don't, Zacchaeus was a hated, hated, hated man. He was hated by the Jew. Three reasons. One, he was Jew, but he worked for Rome. Two, he was a tax collector. So he took the Jews' money and he gave it to Rome. And three, he stole. He would say, oh, they may owe 10% of taxes. He said, you own 15% and he would take 5% for himself. And everybody knew he did it, and he even had the power by Rome to do this. So he was a very hated man. One day, Jesus is walking down the street, sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for a party. Go, go get it ready. Like, that's just Jesus, right? He's, I'm going to come over. Go, go, cook my, go cook me some dinner. And so Zacchaeus gets excited. He's like, oh, right, Jesus is coming. And so he runs home. I'm sure in his mind he had reasons why he was excited for Jesus to come. A friend, right? Oh, that'll show these people around me. You've been talking bad to me. I have authority, and Jesus knows it. That's why he's coming over. I don't know what it was in his mind, but he was excited that Jesus was coming. And everybody else was angry. Everybody else was ticked off that Jesus was going to go hang out with Zacchaeus. But what happens is Jesus goes over to his house. They have a meal. They eat together, and then all of a sudden... Zacchaeus is like, Jesus, make yourself at home. In other words, he's like, Jesus, you have my heart. And this is what happens in this story. It's in Luke chapter 19. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. All of a sudden, like construction happens on Zacchaeus' house. And he stands up. Jesus, I'm giving half of all I got to the poor. And if I've, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold. You know the conversation that didn't happen right before that? Well, Zacchaeus, I really think you're a great guy. I would love to come in and make your house my home. But before I do that, you got some things you got to do. I need you to go and restore everything that you stole from people fourfold. And I need you to take all this stuff, take it, half of it, and give it to the poor. That's what needs to happen, then I can come in. That's not what happened. 
Also, what didn't happen, Zacchaeus wasn't sitting there going, okay, how am I going to impress Jesus? How do I make myself look, be, and act, and look more like him? I know. I'll, I'll show him. I'm going to give half of my stuff to the poor. Nobody does that. And yet here's Zacchaeus jumping up. Why? Because all of a sudden, his house turned into the home of Jesus, and everything changed. And from the inside out, it changed. From the inside out, these things that Zacchaeus struggled with, these sins, these attitudes, thievery, stealing, defrauding people, I don't want to do that anymore. Or who knows the backstory, but maybe Zacchaeus really did want to stop. Maybe he's been trying to stop defrauding people for years, but he got used to the lifestyle, the house he was living in, and it was just too hard. How many times have we had things in our life like, I got to get rid of this. Okay, I got to do it. I got to make it happen. And it becomes exhausting. It becomes exhausting. See, the problem is, is that you're trying to make your house look like what you think the right answer is. It's like, I know the Sunday school answer to that question, so now i got to live that out. i got to act that way. i got to be that way. Right? We're supposed to look more like Jesus, so if Jesus was perfect, eh, I guess i got to be perfect. Oh, I messed up. Okay, just don't let anybody know I messed up. Make sure it looks good on the outside, and people will think I look like Jesus. Right? We're trying to make it look like what we think the right answer is. The question I keep asking myself is, how do I make my house look like Jesus? And the answer is simple. You don't. You can't. Only Jesus can make you look like Jesus. It really is that simple. It's almost too simple for us to grasp. Like, no, I got to work for it. I got to earn. I got to get in there. I got to do the work. I got to get my hands dirty. Now, only Jesus can make you look like Jesus. Any other way to try this, any other way to attempt this, any other way to do this becomes crushing. It becomes burdensome. It becomes depressing. When all of a sudden, we've been trying to kick this habit, this sin, this attitude, this mindset for years, and really we, we just kind of accept, well, I guess I'm always going to be addicted to pornography. Oh, well, I guess I'm always just going to have a really terrible attitude. Oh, I guess I'm just always going to be the gossip. Because we can't beat it because we have tried so hard to do it ourselves. Really, it, it, it's kind of like this. It's like there's this phenomenon going in the, on in this country, and it's called the DIY network. And what happens is it gives people way too much confidence. It gives people way too much confidence. People have no business wielding a hammer. I watched this episode four times. Honey, I'm redoing the bathroom. It's going to be great. should only take me about an hour. At least it only takes them an hour in the episode. Right, but we got the master carpenter sitting right here in our house. I'm like, just you saying here, I'm going to go remodel my bathroom. Because this is what I think my bathroom should look like, A. And B, you, you just sit here. I'm going to go do it. I'll do the work. And we do the work. And if you've ever gotten into a project pretty deep, and all of a sudden you realize, like, uh-oh. Uh, uh, this is going to cost me a lot of money. I'm going to have to call a professional. <laughs> this is way harder than I thought. Right? And this is where we get to in life. We're like, uh-oh, I, I, I can't beat this. I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to do this anymore, but yet here I am doing it again. What am I going to do? Oh, no. I can't let Jesus know that I really messed this thing up. Better hide it. And we try to fix ourselves when we can't fix ourselves. You see, this is how it happens. This is how Jesus makes you look like Jesus. Like there's 
It's, it's more than just a saying. It's more than just like, oh, you need Jesus to do it. Just sit there on your hands, do nothing, and it'll just happen magically. No, it doesn't work like that either. This is Paul's prayer. Again, we're going back to Ephesians 3. Paul is praying this for the church because he wants them to be able to walk in these things. Marriage, family, kids, relationships, unity. And he's saying, without this, none of that happens. And so he says, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. The only way that you begin to look like Jesus is through his Spirit. Through his Spirit. See, yes, I am filled with his Spirit at conversion, but then there's this understanding and there's this idea that every day I need to wake up, I need to be asked to be filled with God's Spirit that his spirit would be filled in me. That's Paul's prayer. He's praying it to the church. He's praying it to people who've already accepted Jesus. Yeah, he's praying that they would have be strengthened through God's spirit in their heart to allow Jesus to come in. See, there's this, there's this kind of image in the Old Testament. Maybe you know this. The, the children of Israel are walking around the desert, and they don't have any food. And so what does God do? He provides food for them every day, manna. But what is the rules? They can only eat, they can only gather enough to eat for today. Tomorrow they got to go get more. And tomorrow they got to go get more. And if they take more than they need, the rest of it will just rot. See, this is understanding that every day they needed to rely on God to provide for them. Every day they needed God to fill them. Jesus even teaches us this in his prayer. They say, Jesus, how do we pray? He says, give us today our daily bread. In other words, I need bread today, and then I need it tomorrow, and then I'm going to need it tomorrow. I'm going to need the Spirit today. How often do you just wake up and you're like, Holy Spirit, fill me today that I might look more like Jesus when I go to bed tonight than I do right now at this moment. See, it's this, it's, uh, this understanding. These, we, we used these two words a couple series ago. We're doing unstumped. But it's this understanding of, of, of justification and sanctification. And those are kind of big words, but what they basically mean is when you say yes with Jesus, yes, you are filled with his spirit. His spirit comes and lives inside of you. That you are made righteous and holy before God. But then there's this idea of sanctification that every day now this process of being made to look more like God. But the idea is not that we do the work. The idea is that God does the work through his Holy Spirit. And so do we submit to that? Do we put ourselves under the authority of the Holy Spirit? Do we say, Holy Spirit, come into my life and make me look more like Jesus and change me from the inside out and stop working on the outside in? That is how this happens. That is how our house becomes a home that looks like Jesus. See, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us, he says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But many Christians have been walking this earth going, man, this burden is crushing me. To look like Jesus? How hard is that? Really hard. <laughs> impossible. That's kind of the point. That's kind of the point, that it is impossible it's impossible to even carry this yoke and this burden. The idea is the yoke is easy and the burden is light because the Holy Spirit's carrying it for you, doing the work. But if we don't understand that, we don't rely on that, and we try to do it ourselves, all we do is become a people trying to make ourselves righteous. And that can't be done. One, for one reason, we've already been made righteous. And for the second reason, we're continually being made righteous, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're trying to do it on our own, it's just going to fail. See, Paul's prayer that we'd be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. Are you, are you strengthened with power through the Spirit today? 
yesterday, that we would gather what we need for now today. See, and then Paul continues in his prayer. He says, I pray that they would be strengthened through the Spirit so that Jesus could come into their hearts so that they may be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. That you may be rooted and grounded. See, he's getting to a point here. You want to be filled with the fullness of God? He's getting to how you get there. It's this kind of the sequence. Now first, okay, we need to have the Holy Spirit give us the strength to allow Jesus to come into our lives, to make us look like him. But when we end up looking like him, we end up becoming rooted and grounded in his love. Buried into it. Buried into it. See, my question to you is, do you know Christ's love or do you know Christ's love? There's a big difference there. Do you know Christ's love or do you know Christ's love? See, so many of us have this knowledge in our head. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. I, I know God loves me. We don't know the love of Christ. You see, Jesus tells maybe, arguably, the most famous story in the Bible. Famous story told, spread, talked about. Any, anybody probably has heard this story before, whether you've read the Bible or not. It's a story about a son. The story about a father and, and his son. Right? And the father loves the son. And the son kind of works for the father. But all of a sudden, the son, this, this, this love of the father kind of becomes troubling to the son. Because all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I want to go party tonight. And this father's like, no, son, I love you. You can't go do this. I care about you too much. Dad, I don't want to work in the fields. Well, I love you, and I, I need to teach you discipline and hard work. you gotta, you got to do this. And all of a sudden, the, the love of the father kind of becomes this troubling thing to the son. Not that the love is troubling, but the way the son is seeing it, perceiving it, kind of becomes troubling. Dad's cramping my style. Dad's putting boundaries on me. He's caging me in. I need to be set free. And so he does that. He's like, Dad, give me, give me, give me what's coming to me. I want my inheritance now. I'm going to be free. I'm going to be free of you. Free of this love that is kind of caging me in. So the dad agrees. He gives the son everything. The son leaves. The son goes off. He has a great time. And then the bottom drops out. Most of us, if not all of us, know the story. Right? The son loses everything. He's got no friends. He's got no food. He's got no job. His pet's heads are falling off. Right? So he ends up in this place where he has nothing. But he knows that the father loves him. He remembers in his head. So he's like, well, maybe dad will allow me to work for him. Maybe I could just be a servant. So he doesn't really know the father's love, but he knows it. He remembers. So he goes back to the father, and he's like, dad, can I work for you? And dad's like, no, you're my son. I love you. And in a moment, in an instant, he knows the father's love. As he gets accepted back to the family, as the father puts a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and has a party for him. And do you think that changed him? Do you think that changed him? Do you think all of a sudden this son is like, Dad, I want to hang out. I want to look like you. I want to be like you. I want to act like you. All these things that you've been trying to teach me, I, I, I see it now. I know the, the value of hard work. I know how important this is. Yeah, Dad, I want, you think that changed him? See, he knew the love, but it was more, that, that love was troubling. But all of a sudden, when he, when he knew the love of the Father, it became transforming. It became transforming to him. In your life, 
would you look at it and go, man, God's love is kind of troubling to me, or is it God's love transforming me? Is it troubling me? Because, man, I know I'm supposed to look like him. I know I'm supposed to act like him. That's really hard. That's kind of crushing. I've got these things in my life, and I don't really want to get rid of them if I was truly honest with myself. And so, uh, but I know I'm supposed to. It's kind of a troubling situation here. Or do you know God's love? See, that was Paul's prayer, right? That we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That we would know it, and it would be transforming us. Even as, as, as people I've talked to that, that, that would not call themselves Christians, non-Christians in the room. That those who would say, no, I don't. I've talked to people and said, you know what, why do I not say yes to Jesus? Why have I not asked him to come into my life and make it, my house his home? Is because really, this thing is kind of troubling. I got this stuff in my life, and I got to take care of it first. And I can't, take, I, I can't ask Jesus in my life until I take care of it. I've had these conversations with people. And no, it's not everybody, but... Man, I, I've had people that, are, that the God's love is kind of troubling to them. Well, I got this thing. I got, I'm doing this thing. And I don't want to stop. I don't see a problem with it. But I know that if I say yes to Jesus, I've got to stop. Those are the rules. And so it becomes a troubling thing. But when we experience, we become rooted and grounded in God's love. It becomes transforming for us. You see, and then, and then Paul goes on in the rest of his prayer. This is so beautiful. He says that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. There's this picture here. Paul's setting up a picture. He says that you would be rooted and grounded in love, okay, that would give you strength that with all of the saints, we could begin to comprehend the width, the depth, the height, the breadth of God's love. In other words, there's this idea, like, yes, individually and personally, we need to experience the love of God. And then there's this idea that corporately, the saints together, we need to experience the love of God. People say, oh, no, church, I can, I can have church in my home, I can have church, but I don't need to be around other people. I guess you can, but no, you can't. Paul praises right here, like, Together, corporately, are we experiencing the unknowableness of God's love that it surpasses knowledge in our, in our life groups, in our home groups? Are we experiencing together? Are we coming together and, 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 and giving each other strength to talk about it? Because sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't want to talk about the love of God because it, I don't see it in my life right now, but it's there because we're in it. But can we, can we be rooted and grounded and then corporately come together to have the strength that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend, to just comprehend together how huge and vast God's love is. You see, people are asking Jesus, they're like, well, what's the greatest commandment? What do I need to do? Like, we try to prioritize things, don't we? We try to prioritize things. Okay, we go, okay, God's got to be first, then my family, and then the job, and then friends, you know, and then maybe friends go before job. I got to figure this whole thing out, but I got to work really hard on my priority list and put it together. That's the wrong way to think about it. They ask Jesus, like, what's the greatest thing we can do? What's, what's, the, what's the, if there's one command we can follow, what is it, Jesus? Simple, love God, love your neighbor. Do that, and you'll fulfill everything. 
No, you don't need to prioritize your list. You need to do one thing. You need to love God. When you do that, it changes everything. You want to be full of God? Do you want to be filled with Jesus? Filled with the fullness of God in your life every day? Every day. Then we have got to begin to understand God individually and together but the trick is the catch is only God can reveal God to us so we've got to stop trying to figure it out on our own it's got to stop trying to grit our teeth and just get rid of my own sin figure it out do it on my own we have got to stop trying to get into our homes or get into our houses and paint the outside make them look really pretty really nice Inside's a mess, but as long as nobody knows, that's not the point. The point is that we allow Jesus, that, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we allow Jesus to come into our hearts, make his, make his home there. That will root us and ground us in love so that we would have the strength to even comprehend with everybody else, with all the other saints, what the depth of God's love is, which is really unknowable. It is that huge. And when we do that, we will be filled. See, it's not a pipe dream. It's not something that someday when I get the kids out of the house, someday when I retire, no, it's not that. It's available today, tomorrow, when you wake up. We don't have to go through life on empty. And maybe you're in this room, you're saying, Josh, I've never even asked Jesus into my heart. That's all right. It's a great night tonight. It is. The love of God is so much deeper and vastly larger than any problems or any sins or any struggles or anything that you might have and yet all you have to do is ask God show me God Jesus show me Jesus because you can't figure it out on your own we're going to pray now I want to pray Paul's prayer over this church and over us tonight would you bow your head with me for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you the strength to be filled with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.